August 8th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin, Dafsaditet Amud Aleph, in the last of the bottom lines. The Gemara had just made a derashah for this pasuk, which says, Ki yom nakam belibi ushnat geulai ba'a. Pasuk in Sefer Yeshaya, which we were being doresh as the days of Mashiach being the full days of 365 days. That's the yom nakam belibi, the day of Revenge, so to speak, the last of the uh, narrow lines. The day of revenge, the days of Mashiach, during which they're going to be revenge upon the enemies. It's Yom Nakam Belibi. Uh, we were understanding that as that 365 days. Says the Gemara, let's go back and just understand for another moment or two those words because we're anthropomorphizing HaKadosh Baruch Hu, giving him bodily attributes, not in a literal sense. We don't actually mean that he has a heart. And when the Torah says, Adonai, we don't mean he actually has a nose. But to pay attention to that description is significant. Says the Gemara, May yom nakam belibi. What does it mean when the Pasuk says that he has that revenge in his live, in his heart, or in his mind? Amar Biohanan, Lilibi giliti, Leivarai lo giliti. Says Rabbi Yohanan, the Dirasha needs to be as follows. Kivyachol, the Pasuk in Yeshaya is describing that God has revealed the day on which he'll begin redemption, the days during which he'll be taking revenge against all those who did wrong. He revealed it to his heart, but not to his evarim. Evarim refers to his limbs, Means, meaning just in the most simple sense, there's no external uh, remnant or hint as to when this is going to take place. This might be predetermined. There might be a specific time, be'ita ahishena, we saw earlier in the Gemara, be'ita, there might be a particular time. There might be a kid, but don't believe, this is my injection, that you're going to be able to figure it out because kivyachol, God has revealed it to himself, but he's left nothing in our world, quote unquote, his evarim, his external side of manifestation in a way that we'd be able to pick up on and say, well, that's when Mashiach's coming. But nonetheless, the Gemara has its last few opinions with regards to, again, what we were describing at the end of the, uh, the learning last week. How long will the span of Yemot HaMashiach be? If you recall, the span of Yemot HaMashiach, each one of those opinions in their own way was envisioning it as this reset button. It's a time period during which we're going to refresh, we're going to do away with the past and begin something, too, something new. As a result, the Gemara has few more opinions with regards to how to formulate such a vision. Bishimon ben Lakish Amar, before that, that last opinion, just on that last single point, 99a. That's, as the Gemara says, uh, instead of it being to his limbs, it's to his angels. In other words, you're so distant and far from being able to perceive when this will be. It's a, the Pasuk says that, well, he knew it, perhaps you're saying that was the remnant in this world, but he wasn't able to reveal it, according to the Midrash. Might be, says the Midrash, no, but the Midrash does say he wants to show them, wants to tell them, but God stops it. It means it's never actually manifested. He's saying, 
According to the Midrash, certainly. Again, according to Peshat, it's what will take place in the end of days. Peshat, Peshat, Bamash Peshat, in the end of your days. In other words, it doesn't per se, and, and that's what he ends up doing. He prophesies what's going to happen in their days. This is what I meant. We're going to go back to it. What are those, uh, what's the span of that time period going to be? Shiva'at alafim shana. It's going to be 7,000 years. Pasuk describes the same way that there's a rejoicing, there's a misos of a hatan with kala, uh, seven days after their marriage, the seven days together, we call it the seven days of Sheva Berachot, today Sotu HaKadosh Baruch Hu will have that time specifically with you, and... Where are we getting this meaning? So where are we, where are we getting that? I mean, the 7,000 years, we don't know... Ki- Give me one second. Okay. The Pasuk says, A thousand years in your eye is like a day of God. As a result, seven days is translated into 7,000 years. Rabbi, that's why I keep returning to this point. Again, to say, they're not describing specifically two things. Number one, this is not a description of when Yemot HaMashiach will be. That's, uh, we saw a lot of that earlier. This is how long Yemot HaMashiach, monarchy and reign, will extend. Earlier, it meant one thing. When's it going to take place? To a certain extent, more relevant to us to understand what does it mean to arrive at that time period, but not to be taking it literally either. Over here, it's another 7,000 years during which there's something special happening for us. The world is not the same as it once was. Perhaps, perhaps in some way or fashion. We'll discuss that later in this Gemara. And then there's a reset with regards to Tehiyat HaMetim. Right? That's what it leads into. It leads, it leads into existence in a way that we're certain in no way uh, resembles what it looks like today. So Yemot HaMashiach might look similar. At the end of it, it looks different. What are these numbers? These numbers, more than anything, are designating a time period during which we're redoing it. So it's another 7,000 then? Yeah, 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 that's the vision. It's not like Mashiach and everybody comes to Say that we started Yomota Mashiach? Who are you on? The Bihileel? Rabbi Hillel says, You had the opportunity then, you ate up the merit of it then, is the way to say it, probably. Description in Torah is, You'll dwell in Eris Israel. We say it in Kiryat Shema every day. Forget about Peshat and Pasuk, the Dirasha over here for our purposes is for the amount of time that the heavens have been over the land. So, meaning from the creation of, and from the beginning of existence. Now that means to say you're going to have that span of time in the land of Israel. The understanding is peacefully, without any difficulties, you, my nation, that's the amount of time you're going to have. When's that taking place? That hasn't taken place yet. We've been in for a couple hundred years and then out. The vision, the understanding is you'll have that time period, you'll have the serenity and the safety guarding during that time period, at which point it'll all end and of some sort or another. Again, you couldn't find a better description, at least in my opinion, of reset than saying it's going to be the amount of time of existence until then, redone, and then you'll have to, and then we'll do something new. Rav Nachman Ba'it Hakamar Ki Noah Ad 
it's a pretty good way of describing the, the renewal as well. Menoach, at the conclusion of Menoach, of the Mabul of Noach, so God promises existence and humanity, I won't redo this, I have a covenant with you that I won't bring to an utter destruction. Well, we're going to make a derasha about something having to do with that, and the understanding will be from the times of Noach until now, take that time period and repeat it then, that will be the period, that's the period God is promising this sort of new existence. So again, each one of these opinions keeps tapping into, in their own creative ways, the same point. The days of Mashiach will be a time period during which existence, humanity, will enter into a new phase. The phase will be this reset, redoing, re- reorienting phase, at which point it too will conclude Shene'emar ki me'noach. The Dirashayas read those words close one to the other. Ki noach instead of because the waters of Noah, it's rather like the, like the days of Noah. Zot li asher Now that we dealt with and finished all those different opinions with regards to Yemot HaMashiach's time span, says the Gemara, let's talk briefly about what Yemot HaMashiach will look like. Do we have any concept? Amar The words of the prophets were specifically about the days of Mashiach. To envision, to depict, to understand for even a moment what it means when we talk about those words. There's no eye who could have and would have beheld that time period or that existence aside from you God which means to say any of the miraculous feats and features described in Sefer Yeshaya is a reference to Yemot HaMashiach don't confuse that with Olam Haba now this is not too hard to swallow and to, put your, to, to wrap your head around why he would distinguish Yemot HaMashiach as we've described is a physical existence it's a time period during which you and I probably look the same. We're not separating spiritual from physical. Our soul is not departed from our body. As a result, to describe anything that's in the words of the prophets where they're describing physical success, where they're describing a world in which things are taking place differently, but it's still things and still entities that you and I can identify with because there's the physical. That's Yemot HaMashiach. Olam Haba, you can't wrap your head around that all the prophets would never have even talked about it. Yes, Rob? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, there might be, there might be, and the prophets do seem to describe this, an elongated time period of existence. The way Harambam would ration, does rationalize that is, it's a time period during which humanity knows how to work this world better. Um, I'll put in today's words. We're more healthy. We have less competition. We're not working as hard. We know how to, with our bodies and with our minds, set them in tune to the extent that we could extend our lives. That's not to say that there won't be death and there won't be sometimes premature deaths. Even then there is uh, you know, my, my question always in that context, but to be repeated, because it doesn't mean you won't be able to remedy it in some way, there's genetic predispositions, which means to say that even if you are healthy, oftentimes uh, you can meet death, nonetheless, in a way that was unexpected. But anyway, that's the description over here. It says the Gemara Upliga, and this is disagreeing Dishmuel with the opinion of Shemuel Damar, Shemuel Ben Ha'olam Hazeli Mota Mashiach Ela. 
Shi'abud Malchiot Bilvad. According to Shemuel, to envision Yemot HaMashiach is as well near impossible, which means to say you can only distinguish between these days and Yemot HaMashiach by understanding that there won't be a, a, a monarchy which is enslaving us, there won't be a powerful uh, 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 jurisdiction over us. And, but what does that have to do with Yemot HaMashiach and Olam Haba? The answer is neither of those is in any way uh, capable for uh, us to wrap our heads around. Now Harambam very clearly associates in his Hilchot Melachim with that first opinion. The first opinion for Harambam, he says, look at Yemot HaMashiach, understand that the words in Zephi Yeshayahu are to be taken as a parable of sorts, that, uh, that animals that are, that are docile animals will be sleeping with dangerous animals, that children will be playing with serpents, that's not to be taken in the literal sense, says Harambam, he's very much, uh, he's, he's, he's very much associated Associating over here with the first opinion, he says, "Listen, we can wrap our heads around such a time period." Uh, the second opinion says, "Though yeah, the, the prophets wouldn't even be able to be talking about that." First opinion says that uh, the prophets, in terms of their prophecy, the Nevi'im, in terms of the positive for those who do right, they're really talking about those who had initially done wrong, but they were Ba'ale Teshubah, they repented. That's who they spoke greatly about. Sadikim Gimurim. Those who never did wrong, those who were imbued with a soul and spirit and, and lived with it, that could and did would do no wrong. You can't even envision. Even the prophets couldn't speak about their greatness. Explicitly prefers this next opinion. The second opinion, that of Rabbi Avahu, says it's quite the opposite. He says to understand the righteous ones, that much we can understand that they've done something positive their whole life, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will reward them, that we can understand. But if you're going to compare them to the Ba'alei Teshubah, they're not even on the same platform. The platform, metaphysically, where the where those who repented stand, uh, the Sadikim Gimurim, the righteous ones uh, throughout, cannot even come close to. That's an amazing statement. First, the Dirashah. The Dirashah is that the Pasuk says, Kivyachol, God turns and he says, Peace should be with you. And it first says in Sefer Yeshaya to the distant ones, and then it says to those who are close, Larachok Vilakarob. Generally speaking, I say hello to you, Rabbi, first, and then I say hello to the guy down the hallway. So why is the Pasuk first mentioned? The guy down the hallway, Larachok, and only then Lakarov, the Dirashah is God is hanging out with the Rahok, the one who was initially Rahok, the one who had done wrong initially, but then came closer, and he's now on his side. And the Karob, the one who was Karob throughout, that's right, he was right in front, but he's not as close with regards to this platform of, ex of, uh, of, uh, of inheritance, of, of achievement. How do you make sense of this? Because the person did wrong, therefore they merit more? 
it's a difficult statement. Maharsha and Masech Berachot says, don't take it literally. Don't take this midrash literally. Understand the words Ba'ale Teshubah means those who were tempted to do wrong. The ones who had to overcome more challenges but never succumbed to them. You can't tell me, he argues, a person who did wrong and then fixed it is greater in any way, shape, or form than the person who has never done wrong. It's rather the person who had more of a challenge to do wrong, overcame it, had to be a Ba'al Teshubah internally, even externally, but never did the wrong. That's the one we're preferring. Alternatively, uh, there are capacities, and I think we all know this, that people who have fallen to or fallen from can then reach further than the person who was steering straight the whole time. It's a difficult thought to, to, to wrap your head around, understands it better, and as a result has, has imbued within them a certain a certain something that drives them closer to truth, or cl- closer in a relationship as well. I mentioned in the context from time to time, it's a difficult statement. I think Rashi's even making this by Nadav and Avihu at the beginning of Parashat Shemini. Parashat Shemini describes that Moshe turns to Aharon and he says, you should know those two who passed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Bikrovai Ekadesh. And Rashi, picking up on those words, reads them quite literally. Kirovai, those who are closest to me, Ekadesh, I will sanctify myself. Now that's not, it's not a, a sugarcoating or the saying that they did the right thing per se, but it is saying that something that they did was the way and mechanism through which I was able to sanctify myself. They are greater than you and me, says Aharon, to, says Moshe to Aharon. Through their act of somehow distancing themselves, they nonetheless were able to tap into something, I mean, it's the audacity that someone has sometimes when they'll go against the grain of society and you look at them and you say, I could never do that. And they're going to be punished for all that they're doing. But ultimately speaking, something about their act will reverberate and change the the continuity of existence. People will do differently because of their wrongful act. They've touched on a certain kernel of truth, and as a result, we revere them to a certain extent while distancing ourselves at the same time and saying, but they couldn't fit into the regular mainstream anything. That, in my mind, is the Ba'ale Teshubai. You have it in terms of relationships as well. One of my favorite examples in Parashat Kitisa, after Heta Egel, after the nation has distanced themselves from God, he wants to destroy them. Moshe requests, begs for forgiveness. We read in the Sefer yesterday. And then he turns to God and says, uh, can, you show, can you show me your glory? I mean, the audacity. I just told you I'm going to wipe out your people. I just told you we're in the worst possible state we could possibly be in. And you're now asking me, show me your face, which of course the response is, I won't, and then I will, the back, not the face. What type of time period? That's when you're asking for it, Moshe? Unless sometimes when we're distant and we then come closer, we come closer and further than we were even before him because that distance to a certain extent opened up that rift and taught us what it took to close it up. We, as a result, find ourselves closer and further in the relationship. Ah, we know this with human beings, do we not? Sometimes that fight, the story that I've told more than once to uh, Hatan and Kala is that my wife and I set up uh, two of our friends. One was mine, one was hers, and we set them up. And the boy, the young man, 
know, what am I today? Whatever, then, it was uh, 20, years, 20 years ago. He spoke at his engagement, he said, we'd never gotten a fight, it was a perfect match, Avi and Zahavi, you knew how to do it. I said to him afterwards, I was very embarrassed, you never got in a fight? How did you never get in a fight? You had to have a certain distance if you were actually close, unless you're not close, unless you don't talk about significant matters, unless your relationship is cheap and insignificant. To sin, quote unquote, to sometimes do the wrong thing means that I care about this, I'm invested in this, and then I repaired it and came closer than I was even further. Anyways. Sheva Yipol Sadiq Vakam, the Pasuk says that seven times the righteous one will fall and he'll get up. The general standard way of reading that, of course, is even though he fell seven times, he nonetheless gets up. Alternatively, Jesse, Rav Hutner, in his uh, letters in his Igerot of Pahaditzhak, suggests it's specifically the seven falls that makes him into a Sadiq. It's because he fell seven times and rose, he's now a Sadiq. It means to say he's now achieved a personality a character trait which is altogether different than the inexperienced one, than the one who's been living that sterile relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Says the Gemara, uh, okay, again, uh, so why does the Pasuk say uh, first, uh, why does it say first the, the distant one that God is wishing them peace, the Shalom, and only then the close one, my Rahok, Rahok de Me'ikara, my Karov, Karov de Me'ikara. Says the Gemara, the Rasha goes as follows, the Rahok one is the one who initially was distant and he came closer. God is turning to him first. The Karob one is the one who was close then and now. He only comes second in the sequence of events. His closeness, his achievements are less than the Sadiq Amors are less than the Ba'al Teshuvah. What about Rabbi Yohanan? Rabbi Yohanan disagreed. Rabbi Yohanan said for the Sadiq Amor, Nobody is able to even perceive or see their greatness aside from you, God. When the Pasuk says that God first talks to the one who's distant, means the one who's distant from sin, meaning the Sadiq. When he then talks to the Karob second, that's a reference instead to the Ba'al Teshubah. He was close to sin and then he distanced himself from it. The statement is that the prophets, in terms of seeing the greatness, the achievement, the success of individuals, they spoke about the following types. The great ones who found for their daughter a Talmud Hacham. We're talking about a person who's not a Talmud Hacham themselves, but found a way of bringing that stature of another uh, of, high, uh, of high level into their family through marrying their daughter to them, providing the dowry. In some way helping with business-wise, uh, aiding in the uh, business expenditures or, or um, investments and then directly aiding in order to further the Talmud Hakam in his mission of Chokhmah, is the proper understanding, as Maharsha points out, not just providing a vacation, but rather providing for the continued study and teaching. For the scholars themselves, 
for those people who have reached that level of being Talmud Chacham, you could in no way understand or perceive their achievements and success. The prophets couldn't even speak about it. Igrot Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein, the famous Teshubah, deals with the following. Someone asked him about this Gemara, but they were opening up, I imagine, if I remember correctly, a kolel of some sort. And the question was, we're telling, we're preaching to the others, this other concept found in the words of the rabbis of Yisachar and Zivulun. We're explaining to them we can split the merits. But this Gemara, these statements of the rabbis, certainly don't make it sound that way. It's not as if they're not saying there's all sorts of wonderful things coming to those who are supporting the appropriate mode of, of Talmud Torah, of Talmideh Hachamim, but it's not commensurate, it's not splitting it. Rab Moshe Feinstein famously distinguished. He said, Yisachar in Zivulun, although you don't find it often in the Gemara, there are one or two references of Midrash or two. That concept is a splitting of merit. That's not what our Gemara is talking about. Splitting of merit, you can talk about. They split the merit. The Zichut is in some way split. Over here, our Gemara is describing something altogether. Our Gemara is talking about that's the merit and I'm aiding in it and hoping to receive some sort of merit in return. The famous story about either of Aaron Cutler or Moshe Feinstein or any and every rabbi that's been great is the following. They were at a dinner and there was a, a tremendous giver to their yeshiva, to their kolel, who turned to them and said, can you imagine, Rabbi, tell me about my sachar. Don't I have wonderful sachar for supporting the institution, for aiding in the publications or whatever, and ev- anything that they were involved in. And the smile or pain smile on the face of the rabbi turning to them said, listen, I envy your olam haba. There's no questioning your merit for the world to come is very great. But olam hazeh? Where's your olam hazeh? Whereas me and my students and my others are involved in olam hazeh in a real way and getting closer to God in this world, you are involved in the mundane acts of this world. So your vision is out of this world and supporting our olam hazeh. I can't tell your olam haba will be any worse. It'll be greater than mine, perhaps. But olam hazeh, where the excitement, where the enjoyment is taking place and getting closer to God in the real time, that's not... For you, that's more for me. That's not what a story, you know? Says the Gemara, my, what does it mean when the Pasuk says, Ain Lora'ata? The Derasha here of those words, Ain Lora'ata, an eye has not seen. Again, the Pasuk said, an eye has not beheld this person, this circumstance, aside from you, Zulatika, aside from you, God. The Gemara makes two Derashot as to quote what it means. Something that's never been seen. We're describing olam haba. We're describing the merit, the zechut of the tamid hacham. Amar Yoshua ben Levi. Let's compare it to zeyayin hamishumar be'in nevav misheshet yimei bereshit. For a wine lover, I imagine this will resonate. It's wine which has been brewing inside. It's uh, inside a fresh cluster of grapes since the creation of existence, since the creation of the world, since the six days of creation. That's going to be a fine aged wine. That's what we're talking about. Nobody's ever had a wine that good. When we talk about this merit, when we talk about some sort of ta'anuk, a spiritual reward and involvement, it's something along those lines. Resh Lakish Amar It's envisioning it, it's understanding it as this out of existence, out of mind reality known as Eden. Says the Gemara Eden. Says the Gemara, did we really never see Eden? 
Uh, wait a second, Eden was never perceived? What about the Torah's description of Adam HaRishon? Adam HaRishon lived in Gan Be'eden Mikedem. He lived in Eden. So it's a beautiful interpretation. I know you're trying to get across the point that it's out of this world, out of this existence, it's something. But the Pasuk says, Ayin Lora Ata Elohim Zulatecha. Nobody aside from you, God, has perceived or beheld this. Adam HaRishon did. Open up to Bereshit, Perek Bet, Perek Gimal. Adam HaRishon is in Eden. Answers the Gemara, Vim Tomar Ganhu Eden, Tamud Amar, Venahar Yoseme Eden, Lehashkot Etagan. The Gemara cites a pasuk which seems to describe how a river emanated from a place called Eden to bring forth water and nutrients for the Gan. The answer of the Gemara then is that Adam HaRishon was living in this garden which was beyond the realm of the actual Eden. So even the greatest moments that the Torah describes, that's right, of humanity in terms of their closeness to God, even that had a certain distance from the Eden experience. And in turn, the derasha of uh, each of these emoraim is, is, uh, aligns one with the other. The description of Ayn Elohim the description of Olam Haba, the description of perhaps even Yomot HaMashiach, the description of the Tamid Hakam, the description of the Baal Teshubah or the Sadiq Amor with regards, regards to their Zechut is this out of world, out of mind existence wherein to try to start describing and determining and understanding is a waste of your and my time because we could not and will not perceive its nature and as a result either the wine from the beginning of existence or the Eden place either way you slice it we're describing something beyond our comprehension Amen Amen